Hi there, beautiful beings. Welcome to the Starseed Network podcast. I am your host and personal spirit guide, Saula Ilona Vaida, and I'm going to be guiding you on this journey of self-discovery, expanding consciousness, and exploring our own unique spiritual and human journeys. We're going to be interviewing inspiring guests, giving you tons of tools and channeled messages to help you along your journey, and just growing and expanding together in this ascension process on earth also if you're looking for some expanded guidance straight from your spirit guides on through the tarot through energy healing or through one-on-one spiritual guidance and working together in a coaching setting with a guided meditation and really diving deep into quantum healing please check out my website, sauleilonavaida.com. Link will be below to book a tarot reading, Reiki energy healing session, or spiritual guidance session. Hi there, beautiful beings. Welcome back to the Starseed Network podcast. Um, Today, I'm going to be sharing almost the part two to the story of my spiritual journey, my human journey essentially um, going through and kind of talking about these experiences that have shaped me into the person that I am now and how much I realize everything that I've gone through is helping me be able to help others who are going through the same things through healing it, through releasing it and just having been there gives me an empathy and so much deep compassion for everyone else who is in the same type of situation no matter where you are in humanity in your journey know that you are felt everyone who's felt pain in this world knows how important it is to be there for one another in these moments and to really open our hearts and be vulnerable and share and get intimate so this is going to be this is going to be a pretty vulnerable and intimate share like the teenage years and wherever we go in this episode honestly it's divine i am allowing every part of myself to come forward and to speak and to express and it's really interesting because last week after i recorded the inner child episode i felt a lot of healing and a lot of movement just from having spoken it out loud and so i really hope that anyone who resonates with those experiences or has had a similar upbringing can you know listen to that and feel just like a little bit less alone be like yeah we've all been through some shit we've all been through it so when we know that we can be so much more compassionate with each other and open with each other and just soften our hearts a little bit to one another so i'm just gonna dive right in right into the trauma oh i've been dreading this one a little bit i've been dreading this part of the story because this is where i haven't haven't fully healed (laughs) let it all go yet well we're never fully healed we're all kind of just walking along and i've been healing a lot like i've been healing non-stop like it's a full-time freaking job um but yeah let's just jump into it let's dive in let's get nitty-gritty let's get mm, dirty with it <laughs> let's get into them nitty-gritties uh! okay um so yeah when i was 12 years old i moved back 
to Maine, to Peaks Island actually, and I was living with my dad and my older brother, and my other brother had gone to college, so we were completely, you know, it was really nice to be back on the island. It was really nice to be back home in my home country, basically, because I, you know, felt much more comfortable in the United States than I did in Lithuania, partly because of, you know, where I was and how much control I had and my life. And essentially, you know, being away from my family and my relatives was really tough. So it was really nice to like, be back with my dad as well. Like I had a lot of renewed faith and hope in my father. I, you know, really loved him back then. I really did. You know, when you're a kid, you love your parents. You can't help it. Um, and I was starting to become a little bit scared of my, of my mom and especially all the, everything that she was going through and everything that I was seeing. It's like, yeah. So essentially my mom kind of, stayed in Lithuania for a little while and then my dad was taking care of me and my brother on Peaks Island and I was going to this like private school that I got a scholarship to which was really cool it was a really good school so I was living on the island and like going to the school every day that was this was this was my morning commute so like I would wake up at like 6 or 6 30 or something and take the 715 boat which if you miss it you're screwed. Like this is how island kids get to school. Um, you basically, you take the 715 boat and then pick, get picked up from there. And we drove half an hour to go to this private school, which was really interesting because there are a lot of like rich kids. There are a lot of like kind of rich, conservative, upper class kids, but there were also, you know, a mix of scholarship students and stuff like that. So it was really interesting. And I the education was really good, I have to say, and I got to meet some really cool people. I got to make some new friends, although it took me quite a bit of time to kind of readjust and, you know, be able to come out of my shell a little bit. I was very shy and being in Lithuania kind of silenced my voice in a lot of ways because I felt unsure of myself. Middle school is just a tough time for a lot of people, I have to say, and you know, in those years especially, it was tough because my dad was just not really able to take care of us. Like, he worked a night shift, so he would usually just not come home after work because the last ferry was at 11 or midnight, so he would just sleep on his boat. He lived on a sailboat, essentially, so whenever we would visit him, we would get to go sailing and stuff and like go on these amazing sailing adventures. So like that was really cool as a child. And I loved being on the ocean. Like I loved feeling the waves beneath me. And there's something about being on the water and being away from land where it's just like all of your problems can melt away. Nothing else really matters. Um, so those years growing up were pretty hard, I'm gonna say. It's not nothing really spiritual about them other than the fact that, you know, my dad, I was forced to very much turn inwards and really take care of myself in a lot of ways because my dad was just not around in the evenings and I, me and my brother were alone. Like, we didn't have heat so like he wouldn't pay the heating bill he wouldn't pay the electricity bill 
you wouldn't pay the gas bill. So a lot of the time, like we would just not have any hot water or heat in the house in Maine in the winter. And sometimes our electricity would go out because he just forgot to pay. That was really an experience of feeling absolutely neglected, of feeling absolutely unsafe and out of control of my own reality because he was very much incapable of doing these simple tasks, doing these simple things, even, even just paying the gas bill, paying the electricity bill. It was like I was completely out of control. I had no way to help myself and all I had to could do was rely on someone who was absolutely unreliable and the more that I tried to get him to step up and take responsibility trying to get him to just be not only a father but just like an adult it just wouldn't work and he was you know he was working like six seven days a week so his all of his energy was going into work and then the rest of it, I don't know like what he was doing with his spare time, but yeah, it was just, he was so overworked that he kind of just was this zombie, which doesn't, you know, doesn't really excuse his behavior, but he was, I kind of think of my dad as like this child that never grew up. Like maybe he got so caught in his childhood trauma or whatever happened. Um, I feel like it could be some sort of, you know, weird trauma between him and his mother and he never really got to grow up and grow out of it and then he just continued to seek partners who were kind of like a mother to him who could take care of him because in a lot of ways he was a helpless child as much as me and my brothers were so it was very scary to be in the care of a child to be care in the care of someone who didn't know how to care even for themselves and let alone kids in a house and all of those other responsibilities so I felt like I had to grow up really fast and I had to try to you know take take control of the situation even though I had absolutely no control and, you know, I would do what I could to earn money. I would, you know, dog walk, pet sitting, stuff like that, just to try to have like a little bit of money just for food if we didn't have food. Because a lot of the times we just didn't have food. And it was like me and my brother were kind of just left alone on this island trying to fend for ourselves. And yeah, like that's the, that's the brunt of it for real. So this kind of gave me the sense of feeling like I had to grow up really fast and feeling like I had to take care of myself because literally there was no one else there to take care of me. And just more and more distrust of, of masculine figures and men, which, you know, obviously translates into relationships and all of that good stuff, unraveling that trauma. But yeah, it's like if, it also gave me kind of a skewed sense of money. It made me feel like money was the only thing that would be able to make me feel safe. So it made me really want money and, and to make money, which definitely extended further along into my teenage years. And it's like kind of uncomfortable to talk about this. It was definitely a little bit of a, of a dark time, not a very spiritual time. The good thing, the good things in my life were that I had friends, I had people my own age around me who I could talk to and share with, even though, you know, it was middle school and there were a lot of instances of, you know, bullying, hurt feelings, fights and stuff like that. But it was, 
it was really grounding to build some more connections, even just a little bit. And like, I remember going to my friends' houses and like lying to their parents, being like, yeah, like my dad's home. Like, yeah, he takes care of us. Like, yeah, I have enough to eat, you know? <laughs> and I remember like the, um, some of our family friends who would like carpool with, they would drop off like bread to our house like they would drop off like leftover bread they usually gave to donate to like the poor people and we're like oh thank you thanks for the bread <laughs> but yeah I kind of want to just skip forward I almost want to just like skip forward to the age of 15 16 for like around then 14 15 16 so when so my brother my my dad essentially when I was 15, I was in New Jersey. I was living with my aunt and uncle and my grandmother in New Jersey. And I had, because my dad didn't have a stable place to live, he was living on his boat and my brother was going off to college. So the only option I really had in terms of places to live was in New Jersey with my relatives. And my mom was in China. She like got a job there. So she went off and I was left in suburbia, which was really interesting for me. Um, very different from Portland, Maine, extremely different. And I had this dog. I had my dog that I loved and I brought her with me. And it was like the only thing only thing of comfort that I had was, was this dog. And I had seen her being born. And, you know, later she kind of, you know, went back. Oh, God, I can't tell this. You can. I can tell this story. Oh, I have to be honest. Okay, I would, yeah, I would say my spiritual journey really started to begin in high school. And I was living in New Jersey. I was living in this little room that I, in the back of the house kind of forgotten by everyone else and extremely isolated like I didn't have anyone who I could trust or who I could talk to especially not in New Jersey I didn't have like a parental figure I was living with my aunt and uncle and their children and my grandmother and I just didn't feel welcome I mean it's not that I didn't feel welcome it's that I didn't feel comfortable being myself with them because you know they were also extremely toxic they were raised by an abusive alcoholic father and there was so much trauma in my bloodline there's so much generational trauma and honestly like it's it extends down these generations and it's up to me to break these patterns as I see them because I just would see my relatives I would see them start to go into these places and as they grew older and as they grew more you know repressed and suppressed more of these feelings and didn't actually feel them they got more and more toxic and more and more you know dark and kind of twisted energies into these like manipulative angry biting sort of energies going back and forth and that was an extremely difficult environment to live in so although I finally had the material comfort that I always wanted and craved, such as literally just having enough food to eat, having food around, um, you know, having a stable place to live. 
was really comforting. But at the same time, I was completely numb because everything that had happened between me and my dad, this rage that I felt with him, I was so angry that he was unable, incapable, and didn't seem like he cared at all about trying to take care of me or trying to understand me or trying to be there with me. I, you know, I started like self-harming when I was in eighth grade and mostly I realized as a way to just get attention in some ways. Like I realized I did it because I wanted someone to see the pain that I was in. I wanted some sort of physical you know, mark of the pain that I was feeling and the numbness and like this suppressed scream type of energy, like wanting to, you know, just scream and get the world's attention, get my dad's attention, get him to see how much I was suffering, how much I was in pain and how much I needed him really to comfort me. I really just needed him to be there for me. And he was absolutely unable. And that, that broke my heart, I have to say, so I could function. So when I was in New Jersey, I just felt completely numb. Everything felt gray. I... I was doing things like I was engaged with school like I was a good student in like middle school and high school and I would you know hang out with friends and I did all the things that you're supposed to do that you know to appear normal to appear functioning but internally I was so deeply numb I didn't feel anything and I had I was so scared of facing all the hurt feelings of the past years that I just didn't think about it. I The first year that I was in New Jersey, I just didn't think about my past at all. I didn't think about anything. Everything was numb. I had no one to talk to. I was extremely lonely. Like There was no one that I could open up to at all. I didn't trust my, my aunt and uncle and my grandmother. They had proved themselves, you know, they had been very enabling of all the abuse that happened between my mother and my brothers and I, so I didn't really trust them to look out for me. They didn't even acknowledge what had been happening for so long, so I just didn't, there was really no one I could turn to at that time and no one I could confide in, so... I, you know, grew very lonely. I became very lonely. And although I had friends and I was, you know, doing, I was in clubs and I did, you know, school things and projects and stuff, I was deeply, deeply lonely. And that was also around the time when I, you know, started to try to use relationships to fill the void. You know, when I was like 15, 16 and I had like a little glow up, I got contacts and like I you know, I just started coming into myself a little bit more. And that was around the time when, you know, I started attracting boys, going on dates and stuff and just having things with people. And it was like opening up my sexuality was like this way of saying fuck you to tradition. It was my way of rebelling, was being almost like hypersexual. So it was like, in my teenage years, I definitely experienced a dark side of sexuality that was kind of like, 
I'm doing this to get back at the world. I'm doing this to get back at those who would tell me to not do this or something that's considered taboo or something that's considered bad or wrong. I just want to experience it because again, I was so numb that I just wanted to feel something. And I had some very interesting awakening experiences in that time of deep depression I remember my freshman year English class actually was one of the most pivotal moments for me in terms of my awakening and philosophy because I had a really cool English teacher. I don't remember his name. I probably shouldn't put his name on here anyway. Um, but I had a really cool English teacher who he loved to engage us in these really deep discussions. And he really got us to think. Like I remember on one of the first days he had us write out these like journal questions. And one of them was like, what do you know for sure to be real? And that really got me thinking. I was like, I guess the only thing that I know for sure to be real is that I'm here and I'm breathing. Other than that, I don't know. <laughs> so in a lot of ways, like being in that class and having these really deep discussions opened me up in a huge way. Like we read the allegory of the cave by Plato in class and that shifted my paradigm in such huge ways because I don't know, like this is definitely like I'm going to give you guys some homework. Go and read The Allegory of the Cave if you haven't read it already. It's honestly incredible and it's such a metaphor for awakening. Um, and it's it's so true, like that moment about, you know, seeing the shadows in the cave and thinking that's real life and then going out and really experiencing reality. It's like you can't you try to go back into the cave and you try to awaken other people, but they can't leave until they're ready. And I feel like that's actually something really important for us to take with us in times like these when oh, some of us are awakening really rapidly and then some of us are, you know, choosing a different timeline. It's, it's like you can't pull someone out of the cave. You can't pull someone into the light. All you can do is be a resource. All you can do is show up for them and, and be present for them and, and, you know, show them that like, yeah, I, I stepped out of the cave and, and I'm all right. I made it. I'm alive. <laughs> I'm doing okay. <laughs> you know? So reading that was incredibly impactful. And we read the Odyssey. Um, we read Fahrenheit 451, all these really great, um, like dystopian books, which are honestly really important to read, especially 1984 as well. Um, and one of the most impactful stories as well was reading um, a few chapters from this book called Ishmael, basically about a philosophical gorilla who teaches this man about society and culture and how culture, quote unquote, even began. And that blew my mind. And it almost sent me into this whole existential, just like turmoil and and I, I started questioning things so deeply. I started looking at things and I would go home and just write these like long journal pages about, you know, just questioning everything and being like, what is this reality? What am I living in? Like, what am I doing here? Why am I spending all this time in school being indoctrinated? Like, I felt very trapped by the system that I was in. I felt very you know, it, it all felt so fake and three-dimensional or to me or one-dimensional even. And 
I remember just walking the hallways and all these like kind of, you know, I went to a very stereotypical high school again. So, and just feeling so out of place. Like I felt like I was an alien trying to navigate the physical world. And, and I, I just knew that there was something else out there. Like I would walk under the stars and I would feel less alone under the stars than I did in a room full of people because I just felt all the love emanating from above and coming down towards me. And that was the only thing that really comforted me in those times. Um, so just connecting to nature and the times when I could as well and being out in nature gave me a little sense of grounding, a little sense of peace and a little bit of something to hold on to, to get me through those incredibly dark times. And what really started my awakening I think philosophy is a huge part of spirituality as well. Even just, you know, opening up your mind to be able to question things and look at things differently and think about, like, why do we do the things that we do? Why do we do it the way that we do? And understanding that we truly don't don't know and we can't be also just limited to our headspace, limited to our mind space. We can open up from there and open up deeper into our soul and not just you know be constantly thinking but be feeling into it and feeling into like what feels real and what doesn't and so that was was kind of something that started to unravel my mindsets in a lot of ways even though I was very deeply depressed and I was very sad I channeled a lot of that those feelings into art I was very creative like I did a lot of art classes and I did a lot of music and theater and all that stuff that you know kind of it fed me and fed my soul thankfully and I love to dance I did a lot of dance um so I was able to kind of channel that energy a little bit and move it a little bit and into something creative so even through that darkness there was there was a lot of a light there's always light in the darkness that's the thing no matter what I've been through in these in these hard times and depression, anxiety, you know, self-harm, suicidal thoughts, all of that stuff, it's it's finding, you know, small pockets of joy, even if you can't figure it all out right now, even if you don't see an end or a light at the end of the tunnel, just finding ways to cope, finding ways to keep going and keep moving and I remember what really triggered my awakening, what really set things moving was when I read this book on guided meditation and I started doing these, you know, 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day of this just like a month straight of meditating and I kind of stopped when I w went back to school but for the month of August before I went back to school and before my junior year I was pretty much meditating like every day or twice a day and that started to open things up to me really deeply and really quickly. It's because like, as soon as I gave my soul just a little bit of access and then a little bit of space to come through, it set in motion, like actions and momentum in my life that started to change. It's like, I, I think of it as like my life started to explode in ways. Things that I used to do just didn't feel the same friends I started to lose friends I was literally so booked up all the time because I never wanted to be at home I never wanted to be alone so I would just book myself up with tons of activities and clubs and work and stuff like that and I got to the point where I just couldn't do anymore I was just at a breaking point I started crying 
And I was like, I, I can't, I can't do this. And basically when I was 16 was also the, when the time when I started to kind of reconnect with my dad, um, because I hadn't spoken to him for like two years because right before I went to New Jersey, he was dating this woman, Laylee, who, you know, ended up adopting me later on, um, which is a whole other, other part of the story. Um, but they broke up and we had been basically living in her house. And then my dad didn't have a place to live. He didn't have a place to live to provide me with. So he was basically like, you, and my mom was going off to China for a job. So basically I had a choice between like, live with your dad on a sailboat or go to China with your mom or go to New Jersey and live with your grandmother and aunt and uncle. And obviously like I chose New Jersey and, um, I got this, I got the comfort that I wanted in the material world. I got, you know, I had enough food to eat, bills were paid, that felt safe in a way. I had a place to live, I had my own tiny little room, but I never felt emotionally safe or seen, and my relatives never really acknowledged the abuse that went on, even within their own families, even between each other. It's like so much of it got internalized and suppressed and they grew up with an abusive alcoholic for a father. So that generational trauma really was passed, has been passed down. And I understand that like, this is my job here. This is why I'm here is to break it as well. And unfortunately I feel like it might, it would probably be like a huge leap for them to actually start to recognize what's been going on and come home to themselves but it was I, I felt very much out of place where I was and I no one really respected or or saw or acknowledged the pain that I was in all the time or tried to rectify or tried to be there for me anyway and there's not much they really could do because they were in pain as well you know we, everyone was just in pain and the house carried all these dark memories all these dark entities literally spirits of all the family members that had passed that were still lingering in the hallways, in the room where I slept. Like I was with my dog would like start barking in the middle of the night at nothing that really freaked me out. Like, yeah. So I, I was constantly, I again was being visited often. This has been a pattern in my life of being visited, uh, experiencing a lot of visitation. It's like wherever I go, the spirits kind of, they see me, like they see that I can see them and they want to come in and, and say hello. And, and now I've learned how to set those energetic boundaries and be like, okay, um, I appreciate your presence, but do not come near me. <laughs> so again, it's like this experience of, of being so open to the world and feeling so much, but not really knowing what, what, where to put it or what to do with it. And I feel like especially in our teenage years, like our gifts start to come through. Like that's the time when in, you know, in another reality, you would go to the temple for initiation or you would, you know, start to be an apprentice or you, you'd start to just embody more of who you are and take more of a role in society. But in our society, it's so weird because it's like you are treated like a child until you're 18 and you kind of never really get the chance to grow up and be initiated into being a mature adult understanding what that means learning about you know sovereignty learning about entrepreneurship learning about starting your own business taking care of yourself how to care for each other how to have intimate relationships like it's so much deeper than just like the sex talk like people don't don't see that like 
teenagers need initiation. Um, and I learned that from the Soulful Heart Collective, um, especially through their work, which has been really impact impactful for me in my life. Um, so I've been working with this inner teenager part for a really long time and now starting to transition into my actual adultness and and releasing all of this anger because a lot of it is is anger and this this hurt you know this hurt from childhood that doesn't get recognized doesn't get felt so it just gets covered over with anger and I feel like a lot of a lot of people go through that and a lot of people feel that especially when you're a teenager and you're awakening and you're like I don't understand this world I don't understand why is everything like this why do I have to conform to the system why can't I be myself and also having the pressure from other people and the pressure from your friends and you know, wanting to appear a certain way and also the pressure of social media, wanting to get attention and validation through that if you're not receiving it from your home life or, or your immediate surroundings. It can be a lot. It's a lot to go through. Um, and I really, when I started meditating, it started to open up portals inside of myself. Like I was starting to have like out-of-body experiences, transcendental meditation. Again, it's like a part of me has always kind of known that I'm meant to be spiritual or I'm meant to be connected in this way. So whenever I wasn't, it felt painful. Like it felt like I was suppressing a part of myself. And again, it was like I had very much access to the 4D and to like the lower 4D and to like, you know, even just sensing other dimensional things going on around me without fully being able to understand them or access them or control them um so it was like this numbness and this depression had to cover over a lot of things and as soon as I opened up a little bit of awareness opened up a little bit of space it started to come pouring through and like I said everything was collapsing in my life everything that used to be solid was just falling through and my dad started to come back into my life because he was dating this new woman and she was like oh your dad's changed he's healed like you should come live with us we'll be a family all this stuff and a part of me knew that you know he hasn't changed he whatever it's the same a part of me knew that that wasn't the case um but then also part of me really wanted to believe that it was possible really wanted to believe that things could be different this time around really wanted that family like I was willing to give it another shot I was willing to put everything on the line to to just feel something as well to get me out of that stagnation and get me out of like New Jersey especially um because I don't know if like anyone has been or lived in New Jersey or like Bergen County like so much love to that place honestly endless love it's a beautiful place to live but to be honest it is pretty you know suburban upper middle class where especially where I was at least so that's kind of tough if you don't fully resonate with that I was ready to leave New Jersey especially on Thanksgiving of that year because my mom was coming back from China and she went through my phone and saw that my brother was spending Christmas with my dad or spending Thanksgiving with my dad and didn't tell her and she absolutely flipped out and there was just huge fights and 
that was like the last straw for me. I was like, I cannot be here where this woman has access to me. This is no longer acceptable. I will not accept this anymore. And I was just done. I, I couldn't do it any, any longer. And I told my aunt and uncle, I was like, I, I need to go. And I, I can't be somewhere where I'm not safe, where I'm not protected. And especially with them not even being able to acknowledge it and not being able to do anything to respect me and respect my place in it and, and how much I was suffering. So that kind of was the last straw in my decision to be like, hey, I'm moving to Maine. I'm moving back to Maine. Even if it's a terrible mistake, I'm doing it. And I also wanted to be close to Laylee, who is like kind of now my bonus mom, like almost like adopted mom. Um, and she, you know, I just wanted to be close to her and her family because that was like the closest thing that I ever felt to a family, to a responsible adult who cared for me and loved me. That was like this shining beacon. Like I had never experienced anything like that. And I, I really wanted to, and just the ability to be close to them. Um, cause I, whenever I went back to Maine to visit my family, I would always visit like Laylee and her family and have just a really great time and feel, I felt really connected to them. So going back to be close to them was one of the main catalysts that drove me. And I remember getting this download at one point when I was, you know, really thinking about this decision. If you have two options and one of them scares you and the other one doesn't, take the one that scares you. Even, even, you know, because looking back, I'm, I'm like everything that happened. And I'm going to say this completely truthfully, 2016 was the hardest year of my life. Like without a doubt, the year that I was 16 in 2016 was the hardest year of my life. And, but it was also the most transformative. It was the year that I decided to step out of numbness. It was the year that I decided to start to feel again. And oh boy, was there a lot to feel. There was a lot to feel that had to come out that was suppressed for a long time. And that's probably where I would say that my spiritual awakening or spiritual awareness at least became conscious in this lifetime, the most conscious it had been. Because before, like, I would listen to classical music and, and almost meditate without realizing it, or I would be painting and listening to classical music as a child and just feel extremely peaceful. So there was a part of me that always was spiritual, that was, you know, being spiritual in everything that I did. And I think art really was, like, my connection to that and, and being creative. So, yeah, when I was 16, I... That was a shit show. I'm gonna be honest with y'all, like, being 16 is hard. Being a teenager is hard. So anyone who's in that phase of your life right now, I feel you. Like I'm sending you so much love and support because it's tough. Like being in the world we live in and being a sensitive being and being, you know, dealing with high school, dealing with figuring out your identity, trying to fit in with other people. It's a lot. So like I made the decision to move back to Maine knowing that it was very risky, knowing that it was messy, it was going to be messy. And I still did it anyway, because I was like, if this is a mistake, it's a mistake that I'm wor it's worth making either way, because I knew like at some point I was going to be led to a better future. And I really believed that my dad could change. I really believed in him. Um, but obviously people can't change unless they choose to change. That's kind of one of the hardest lessons to learn in life is like people, 
you know, people have to change of their own accord and their own volition and their own desire. So I moved back to Maine and I enrolled in a new high school, which was completely opposite from the high school I had been in before. And honestly, like, I have a lot of appreciation for the high school that I went to in the first half of uh, in New Jersey. Like I learned, it was a great school. I did a lot of theater. I did a lot of music. That was really awesome. Um, I met some great people. I still have some friends from there. So it was not all bad. Honestly, nothing in life is, is black or white. It's all nuanced. And the me that I was and the pain that I was carrying with me was what colored my experience exactly. So I can't, you know, hold any grudges or hold any resentment towards the school itself um or even just my family in that way because they were you know they did the best they could with what they had and being in the pain that they were in I have nothing but compassion for them continually nothing but compassion although I don't choose to interact with them anymore I have absolute love and compassion for what you know what they're going through and what what they're feeling and so when I was 16, I moved back to Maine and I moved in with my dad and his new wife in their house in Portland and I enrolled in a new school and the new school that I was going to was so awesome. It was completely different. It was, you know, this tiny expeditionary learning, super like hippie, super liberal, progressive high school. Everyone, you know, was into the, like the same kind of stuff that I was. They were into art. They're like into sustainability. Um, the curriculum was very much, you know, you choose what you want to learn in a lot of ways. You choose what you want to research, which is really cool. Honestly, I think a lot of schools should be like that. So I moved there and I brought my dog with me who I had had since I was, um, 13, um, watched her being born. Her name's Nanook. Um, so I brought her with me to my dad's house because, and they were like, oh yeah, of course she can come. And they got their own dog as well. So they had just gotten a new dog and my dog was coming in. So it was pretty rowdy in the household. And so I got there and I enrolled in this new school and like things were off to, you know, a shaky, but good start in some ways. And then a week in to me living with my dad and his new wife, they told me that I had to get rid of my dog, of like my dog that had been with me for the past like three years, basically my only friend at times. And it was tough for me to take care of her. Honestly, it was tough for me as a teenager to take full responsibility of this dog. And yeah, I struggled with it. Honestly, like I wasn't always the best dog parent that I could be. But I still, like, I love I love her so much. And she was such a huge comfort to me. And they, within a week, they told me to get rid of her. Um, so that was, like, that completely broke my trust in them completely right off the bat. And the fact that it was, like, my dad's wife who was calling the shots in all these situations. And my dad would just, you know, never stood up for me, never said anything. He just let it all happen. So I had to get rid of my dog, which was like awful. That was awful. I don't know, like anyone who has experienced something like that, losing a pet, you know, it to, it's just, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. And so I thankfully, Laylee, 
who I was, you know, I was rebuilding my relationship with her and spending a lot of time with her because she was like my only support. So like, that's part of the reason why I moved back to Maine because I was closer to support systems. Like she was my only support system at that time, the only adult that I could trust. So, and she also had a strong connection to Nanook and Nanook loved her and she loved Nanook. So Nanook like went to live with Laylee and Laylee kind of adopted her and, you know, they're still very, very bonded to this day, which is really sweet. And yeah, it was kind of like she adopted her in, in the sense of the word. Um, and that was really hard. So I would obviously, you know, go over to Laylee's house all the time to see Nanook and to just be and feel safe. And I would go there like two, three nights a week or sleep over and just avoid being at my dad's house and, you know, give, having to give up my dog really that within the first few weeks to a month of being there, I was extremely triggered once again. And I fell into a deep, deep depression, but this time everything I could feel everything. Um, so this time around, I felt everything. So it was like everything that had been numbed, everything that had been suppressed came pouring out. And I just, I felt such deep grief and sadness and anger. And it felt like my world was ending. And I at least I'm, you know, I'm thankful now that, and then that at least I was able to feel something again. That was a a huge thing for me that I actually was feeling. I remember, you know, sitting huddled in the attic because my room was like in the attic, which was very haunted by the way. Like I would get knocks on my door at 3am. It was scary. So I didn't love that as well. Um, And I would be just like, I remember just sitting huddled in the attic and being like, I wish even a ghost would appear just so I could be less alone. I felt the most alone that I had in my entire life that I probably ever will will feel. I don't think I'll ever feel that alone again because now I have the knowledge that I never truly am alone. There are always guides and spirit, you know, angels around me, but in that moment, I felt so alone, and I started counting the days. I was like, okay, a year and a half that I'm off to college, a year and a half, that's all I need to do, and every day living there was almost like a living hell, um, because my dad, it wasn't even, it was mostly like my stepmom and my dad, and my stepmom was very, very vicious, like she had a way of appearing you know very kind and good-natured and she was like a nurse and stuff but underneath it all she was you know she was the one pulling the strings of my dad she was the one manipulating my my dad in every single way so we would get texts um written from my dad that were written by her we would get like you know fake apology letters that were written by her that were you know addressed from my dad and my dad just like never was able to even acknowledge the amount of trauma and pain that he put me through and probably never will. Um, and so six months into living there, it was just absolute hell. Like 
I was out of the house as much as I could be. I never wanted to be around them. I was just doing my own thing. I was rebelling. Um, I was incredibly angry, incredibly depressed. That was all going resonating through all my personal relationships, everything that I was doing. Like I started smoking weed and like drinking a lot, not like a lot, but I, you know, I started discovering alcohol as an escape and weed as an escape, um, and relationships as an escape in a lot of ways. And, um, I was just in a, in a dark place and yeah, I, I, but the thing is I was still, there were still parts of me trying to pull myself out. Like I still, I remember I had, I had this little box of self-care things that I wrote down, like little quotes that I would write down. Cause even through all of this pain, I was still trying to better myself. I was still trying to develop. I was still trying to feel my way through. I was trying to heal in some ways, even while I was directly in the trauma, living in the trauma. So I made this little, like, I had this little tin box full of notes that I wrote for myself of just, like, little things that, that I could do when I started getting, getting into that, that place, like, would be like, oh, like, meditate, or listen to a song, or dance, or read a book or something, just, and, like, little quotes, and, like, little self-care things, and just little rituals that I would try to cultivate, and try to just, like, build myself a little bit of comfort, whatever way that I could. And then the summer, that summer when I was 16, was when absolutely everything in my life just changed and shifted. And a big part of it um, was falling in love for the first time. I fell in love with a boy. Um, And also, I want to say, this was also around the time when I started discovering my bisexuality so I started discovering that I was attracted to women and all these kind of confusing female friendships that I had had my whole life we're we're getting a little bit more clarity and being like oh I'm actually I'm actually attracted to women like this is real this is not something that's that's in my head um so I started exploring that a little bit more and and feeling into that which which was cool and like yeah I was I was kind of using sexuality as an escape and I was kind of like being promiscuous in that way in a not very healthy way and you know been unraveling those patterns for some time um and I did have some experiences of how do I say this trigger trigger warning I did have some experiences of you know being in very unsafe situation that you know being literally assaulted yeah like I I was assaulted um non-consensual situations I'm just going to put that out there. Um, and that really, that was some really deep traumas and that I've, you know, since then I've, I've been able to feel into those and I'm not going to talk about them specifically on here right now. Um, but yeah, that was a huge part in, in just understanding like what sexuality is and what sexual energy is and how to use that and how to use that in a healthy way. It's been such a journey because it's also something that we don't get initiated into in our society we don't get to learn about what what it truly means to share energy with someone in that way and as you know we we have these hormones and we have these urges especially as teenagers and it's like 
it's cool. Everyone wants to do it, but we don't understand what we're doing. We don't understand the power of it. We don't understand the energetic transaction. So that is something that I feel like we need to, we need to talk about more. We need to talk about with teenagers and, and be open about that and be honest. Um, and I hope that's something that we can open the conversation about a little bit more going forward. So yeah, I, the summer that I was 16, I discovered my bisexuality. I fell in love for the first time and I fell in love with someone who was very emotionally stable, who had good parents and a good home. And that was almost like catalytic for me. That was crazy to think that there were adults in the world who could actually, you know, care for you and love you unselfishly like without any motive like they could just be nice like people could just be nice to you I was like whoa that's crazy (laughs) so that was a huge blessing that I'm forever grateful for you know no matter what happened in that relationship how it ended and how it went I'm always going to cherish those memories of that summer and all just like all the awakenings that I had through that and getting to have fun with someone, getting to open up to someone, being intimate, being vulnerable, feeling safe. Feeling safe with another person was huge for me. Um, So that was a really beautiful experience. And that was kind of the grounding that I needed and the support that I needed. Honestly, it was a blessing from the universe because the fact that I attracted someone who was able to treat me right and able to just love me in a healthy way was really amazing. (laughs) Amazing, honestly. Um, So that was really the grounding that I needed, the grounding that I needed to be able to get through what was coming that summer because my um, stepmom kicked me out of their house when I was away at summer camp. So... At my summer camp, I would go to this Lithuanian summer camp, like this very Catholic camp, and there was an outbreak of the norovirus, and uh, it was my last year there. It was just very messy, and I really wanted to come home because, A, I wanted to see my boyfriend. We weren't even, like, officially dating then, but I was like, I really wanted to be back and see him. And I was just like begging them to let me come home. And they were like, no, no, no. And I got mad about that. And then they kicked me out. Um, So I was essentially away at summer camp for like three weeks and crying on the phone to my dad, begging him to just let me live there for another year and a half or, or another year until I graduate high school. I was like, please, like I need a place to live. Like I'm your daughter. And he was like, nope. Um, literally nope. Like he was like, why didn't you open up to me earlier? Like I was doing everything that I, I could think of to basically fight for my basic survival needs, um, which my dad has never been able to provide. So it was, it was uh, just all that, that really, that was the last conversation I ever had with him on the phone at camp, crying, um, sobbing, begging him to let me live in his house um, because his wife was saying that I couldn't live there anymore. So that was, that was the last conversation I ever had with my father. And then I called Laylee and I was, I told her the whole situation and she was like, okay, you know, just try to work things out with your dad, but worst case, you can stay here for a little bit until we, you know, figure things out with your dad. And 
honestly saved my life. I will forever be grateful for that moment. Forever. Honestly. And all along, like, I wanted to live with her all along. Really. I really just wanted to live with her. And that was when things started to change. When I was like, there's actually an adult out there who loves me. <laughs> who can care for me. I'm getting really emotional now talking about that. Um, and it's like, despite all the bullshit that we've gone through together and the ways that we're changing now and the differences that we have, I will always be grateful. I will always be grateful for my bonus parents, for them taking me in and just giving me a home, giving me a little bit of a foundation, giving me a safe place to land. And that's all, that's all I ever wanted, really. It's all I ever wanted in that moment. And the way that this tower moment happened, it was a blessing because I, I got to leave my dad's house finally. And, you know, he kicked me out. I was able to be like, yeah, bye. F you. Um, so I came back from camp. I had the support of my brothers in moving my stuff out of my dad's house. And that was a whole mess in itself. Like, just me going to get my things was a whole drama and a whole mess. And I moved into Laylee's house, um, my bonus mom. I moved into my bonus mom's house. And she said that, you know, I could stay there and I could stay there with her. And that was like the most incredible moment of my life at the time. I was like, oh my God, I can actually stay here in this place with my dog where I feel safe in this beautiful house and like I was so grateful and I, I it was it was interesting because you know when I had that that safety finally it was like I didn't know how to function <laughs> I didn't know how to function normally I my whole life had been literally in fight or flight so being in a stable home was extremely challenging. Um, I didn't know how to interact without fighting. I didn't know how to tell someone how I was feeling without being defensive. I didn't know how to just be a normal human, a normal healthy person. And there was a lot of, of trauma and unraveling that followed, you know, me leaving that situation and, and moving in with uh, my bonus parents and it was a tough adjustment honestly they were really cool like they and they would go to therapy with me to like better understand my situation and and it was really like I'm always just going to be deeply deeply grateful for that um and deeply grateful for all the support that I received from my boyfriend at the time and his parents and you know, it was the first time that I really started to see that there were people, there were good people out there. There were people that were selfless and loving and caring and who were willing to, you know, see through all of the, the barbs and the walls that I had up and really just like see me and see my worth and, and want to take care of me and want to give me just a better, you know, life in a lot of ways. So that was a huge pivotal moment and I'm saying like that year the year that I was 16 was the toughest year of my life because I went from being absolutely numb and having my life completely falling apart in New Jersey to 
transitioning into trying to exist in a loving home, trying to exist in a, you know, a little bit more stable, a bit more balanced home. And that fall, I emancipated myself from my parents. My parents were just, they were fighting to, to get me back. It's crazy. Like after my dad kicked me out a few weeks later, he completely denied the whole thing. And he was like trying to get me back into the house. And I was like, absolutely not. And the only legal way that that could happen, that I could, you know, have the freedom to sign my own medical documents, fill out the FAFSA by myself, um, you know, sign my own forms for school was through emancipation, essentially like legally becoming an adult. And I went to court and everything. I got a lawyer. I filled out all the paperwork and it was, it was a quite a simple process actually. And I'm really grateful I'm really grateful for all the support that I had with that and all the people just like looking out for me and helping me. And that was something that I I never really had before. So it was amazing. And I went to trial. I literally fought against my mother in the courtroom. Um, My dad went up and straight up was just like, she can do whatever she wants. She can get emancipated. I don't care. So I won. I was free. And I got to live with my bonus parents for the rest of the year until I went to college. And honestly, looking back, like my senior year, it was tough in a lot of ways, but it was it was tough in new ways because I was healing. I was going to therapy. I was I got to dance at school and to this program where I got to like dance half the day at school, which was really awesome. And I had um, my boyfriend and his family around um, because he was doing like a gap year and it was the first year that I really was able to heal and that was almost like terrifying for me. It was terrifying for me to go from, you know, being in constant fear to being like, okay, I'm safe. I'm okay, I guess. I gotta figure this out now. Like, how do I navigate this? Um, Whole new set of challenges, honestly. And I was applying to colleges. I wanted to go for musical theater or expressive arts therapy. I was really interested in, in being a therapist. A part of me has always wanted to be a therapist or a counselor of some sort. Um, which is kind of what I do now, a little bit different. Um, and so I was like applying to programs for, for that. And I really wanted to do musical theater. So I got accepted to basically like every school that I applied to, which was really a nice, that was really nice. I did pretty well on my SATs. Um, and I got accepted to Leslie University for expressive arts therapy and I got accepted to like all these different cool universities, but the one that I most wanted to go to was in Spain. It's called the Institute of the Arts Barcelona. And I found it when I was doing some research with my brother on colleges the year before. And I was like, I literally, I knew I wanted to do performing arts and I knew I wanted to go to Spain. So I just did a Google search, like, Spain Performing Arts School, and it came up. It was the first result, and I was like, what? Like, this is real? 
Like you can actually do this. Oh my God. Um, and I, and I was like, whoa, like talk about manifestation, talk about good luck. Like, and it had only been open for like three, not even like three, four years. So I was like, God damn, like this is meant to be, it was meant to be literally. I held on to that conviction with so much pure, like just, I, I knew that it was for me. I knew it was meant to be. And I literally, I saved up all my money from working at an ice cream store and I flew to Spain to audition in person and go see the school. And my boyfriend at the time came with me. We had an awesome trip. Like we went to London and Paris and Barcelona and I got to go see the school and audition in person. And honestly, I feel like a huge part of the reason why I got in in the first place was that I told him, I was like, I literally came all the way from America to audition for this school. Um, my dance skills were not great. My acting and singing was definitely like my forte. Um, although I love to dance, I'm not the most technically skilled. Um, oh well, but yeah. And then I just knew, like I went to Spain and I knew that that was the place for me. I knew I had to go there come hell or high water. I was like, I'm going to school. There's absolutely no other choice, even though I had already been accepted to all these other programs and like yada yada. Um, so I did my audition and then I came back and a few weeks later, I got a letter. I got an email um, saying that I was accepted and I literally... I remember exactly where I was in the bathroom <laughs> in my school and I read the email and I just started freaking out and just like jumping and freaking out and like it was it was the most incredible one of the most incredible moments of my life like knowing that I was accepted and then I was going to Spain I was like oh my god um and I just ran out and I told everyone that I saw and like I oh that was such a good feeling oh my god I just want to hold on to that feeling forever and just be like yes this is my path this is what's meant for me I claim that shit like I have never manifested anything so hard in my life and I think partly it's because like I knew that it was, it was just meant to be. I knew that it had to happen. And I don't know if I manifested it or it was my destiny or whatever, but it happened and I made that shit happen. Like I found a way to pay for it. That meant me literally having to make this like barter with my mother, which was super weird where she was like, I'll pay for your school if you have a relationship with me essentially so she made almost like you know being like a sugar baby in some ways like she made me have this quote-unquote relationship with her in exchange for her paying for my for my tuition and I'm honestly I'm so grateful that she I'm really grateful for that um and I do fully intend to pay her back when I can and I'm just being like full disclosure like I'm not ashamed of what happened. Like I did what I had to do to go and I wanted, I knew what I wanted and I was prepared to do anything to get it. Um, and it worked like the money came through and I, I mean like I don't have like loans or debt or anything because 
it, the school is only like 10,000 euros a year because I'm a citizen of the EU. So, I mean, I fully intend to pay pay her back and pay back everyone who has helped me when I am rich. You know, I did what I had to do and I was ready to go. I packed my bags. I got on that plane literally um, two weeks after my 18th birthday. I, you know, ended my relationship with my boyfriend at the time. Well, we kind of did like long distance for a little bit, but it, it f like wasn't working and kind of fizzled out in some ways. Um, but I was off to my next chapter. I was taking flight. I was ready to go. That being, that being said, like, I guess what I can learn, what advice I can give from, from this chapter of my story these years, um, in all of it, there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. There's always hope. We can find hope in the darkest places. I'm serious. And let me tell you, cause I've been there, cause I've been there. Like I know how it feels to be absolutely numb. I know how it feels to be, to feel like life is meaningless and to feel bored with everything and just feel like nothing has color or, or life and nothing has meaning and nothing has value. And I just want everyone to know, everyone who could be going through this kind of situation, everyone who is in this phase of your life or healing this phase of your life, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to feel. It's okay to scream. It's okay to rage, okay? And small steps, small tiny little openings will create momentum, will create change. So no matter how, how long or dark the road seems or how arduous the journey has been, there's always small pockets of joy. There's always small pockets of hope. And you can look for them. You can find them even in the darkest of nights. There's still stars. There's still a higher power above you and you're never truly alone. All you have to do is ask for help. All you have to do is reach out. Reach out and ask out loud for guidance and it will come to you. Your spirit guides want to help you. You're never alone in any moment that you're feeling. And, and these hard times, they're going to come to an end. They just have to because... You know, you can spend years being numb, but it's going to end. There's going to be a moment that cracks you open and then you might have to feel a lot. You might have to go through a lot of feelings, but let me tell you, it is so much better to feel. It's so much better to be real with what's happening and be real with what's inside of you. And life is confusing. Life is weird. Life is crazy. And it's part of our journey and we can bless it and release it. That's how I feel about this story. I've let hold me hostage for so long. I've let it live inside of me and be dormant and affect my life and affect my subconscious for so long. And now I just want to bless and release, let it go. Like I forgive my dad. I forgive my stepmom. I forgive everyone in this situation. And I can recognize that although it was, it is what it is, 
and it had to happen in that way, it has, you know, helped me grow into the person that I am now. And it's been so much healing. It's been so much work. And I will get into that into the ne- in the next chapter of this story in part three. Of course, it's three parts. Three is a magic number. Um, so in the next chapter of this story, I'm going to tell you guys about how I, how I healed and um, how I continue healing. All it took to open myself up again was just 10 minutes of meditation a day, just 10 minutes of being mindful in all, in the middle of all of that chaos, all of that nonsense, just 10 minutes, anything, any small thing that you can do, it's going to make a huge difference, especially compounded over time, small, consistent steps. Just see the next step in front of you. Just take it. You're not going to be in this situation forever. Every situation has to end. We're always moving forward. We're always changing. We're always shifting. We're never the same beings two moments in a row. So recognize that you are a complex, beautiful, unique being, especially speaking to my inner teenager and all the inner teenagers and outer teenagers that are listening to this, um, you, you are a complex, beautiful, multifaceted being. And even if you don't fully understand your power and your worth and you can't see your own light just yet, other people can see it. Other people can see your radiance. Other people want to love you. They want to be there for you. They want you to recognize that you know, being a teenager, you are in more incredibly powerful than society lets you believe. It's like all of this energy that you have as you're growing and you're changing, it gets channeled into distractions, into escaping reality, into drugs, alcohol, whatever. But it that raw power is there and it's it's meant to be used for something greater and if we can actually channel that and channel all this passion all this drive all this expansion all this you know hunger all this desire to know and to experience life if you can channel that in a positive direction you can create endless things you can create endless abundance you can create endless projects there's so much creative potential even in being depressed even in being sad there's creative potential and that's why some of you know the greatest works of art the greatest writings come from having being in the deepest pits of darkness and feeling that and living into that and being honest about it and shedding some light on it it it's it's truly it's being depressed and this whole aesthetic of depression, it can it can almost be glamorized and it can be indulged as well. And I'm I'm speaking with this with so much love and so much compassion, and especially having having been there. Absolutely be where you are, feel what you're feeling. But keep striving for something more. Keep looking for these little pockets of joy, these little beacons of hope. No matter how small or few or far between they are, just keep looking for them because you'll find them and you'll eventually find your way out. I completely believe in you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, This is chapter two of my spiritual awakening and next week I'll be continuing with chapter three in my self-healing journey. 
Um, and really excited to interview some incredible guests coming to you on Saturday. So if you would like to support the podcast, please make sure to like, subscribe, stay tuned, and I will see you next time. Sending you so much love. So spiritual awakening is not usually an easy or simple process. So if you're feeling isolated at the moment and you are looking for a community or you're looking for answers or just looking to connect with like-minded souls and like-minded beings, we have just opened up the Starseed Network, essentially a private social network away from Facebook and TikTok and social media and all that, where you can share your unique story, your unique experiences, give feedback on the podcast episodes, let us know what resonates ask questions and potentially meet your soul family and soul tribe this is an ever-growing community that is still in its beginning stages and going forward it will be a humble love exchange of five dollars a month and in this membership you'll be receiving you know guided group meditation events live events where you can share your story receive guidance and meet other people and meet other people who have been going through the same things as you because those conversations when you finally get to talk to someone it's like it's electric it's just back and forth like oh my god me too anyway so this is very exciting um look out for that link is in the bio i personally believe in using the tarot for present moment guidance to really empower you to make the decisions that will create the future that you desire so this will be channeled messages connected directly to your spirit guides and how you can work with yourself right now how you can empower yourself the lifestyle practices um, the things that will help you along your journey simple action steps that you can take to empower yourself expand your own intuitive abilities and heal on a deeper quantum level so if you're interested in booking an appointment with me please go ahead and check out the link below or send me a message on instagram or tiktok and we can talk more about that Speaking to existence and release your existence.